Welcome to 52 Pearls, the weekly money wisdom podcast. I'm Melissa Joy, a certified financial planner and founder of Pearl Planning. And I'm joined by Melissa Friedenberg, Pearl Planning Financial Advisor. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. (laughs) You're never going to forget our names because, of course, we're both named Melissa, children of the 70s. So each week we provide a bite-sized actionable tip that we hope will help you make better financial decisions. The purpose of our podcast is to accompany our weekly financial tips, which we call 52 Pearls. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to sharing along the way. Welcome to another episode of 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom. This is Melissa Fradenberg here, and today I am joined by Nathan Steiner. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for uh, having me on today. Nathan is the Vice President of Mortgage Lending for Guaranteed Rate here in Gross Point. He has over 18 years of lending experience, and in fact, he has been my personal lender in several home purchases and my go-to for many questions that I have for clients that I meet with. And today, we're specifically going to talk about mortgage lending in divorce. One of the biggest topics that I address with clients when they're in the divorce process, it's whether, you know, who's getting the house, what are my options, what can I afford? And I really appreciate you've been a great resource to me. I'm always willing to help kind of field those questions. But I thought since I get those questions so often that we would get together and do a little podcast here so that people can get some answers, you know, on their own time and then reach out to about their individual case if needed. What I want to first start off is is when people start in the divorce process, they may come to you as a financial planner, they may go to an attorney, but they really should go to a mortgage lender as well and discuss those options up front. So and I really feel that the attorney, the financial planner, and the mortgage lender could all work together in developing the, the proper divorce decree so that the departing spouse is able to go buy another house, person that wants to stay in the home is able to reside, have the mortgage, and so forth there. So the, the biggest thing I want to say to everyone out there is to get ahead of that. So even before the divorce decree is possibly completed, consult with a mortgage lender and your options that exist there. In reference to options, there's really a couple different options. So the first thing you want to check is if they are physically on the note. So if they're liable for the note. I'm going to stop you only because we like to really break it down simple terms. So when you say on the note, like this. So married couples will always be on the mortgage. Okay. The note is the liability attached to the property. Okay. Okay. So the liability attached to the property could be in one spouse's name, both spouses name, depending on how that liability is structured or that note is structured. A quick claim deed could be the easy, quick answer to get a spouse off of it. If both parties are on the note, then you would have to refinance. If one party is on the note, the as long as the party that's departing is not on the note, a quick claim deed could, could solve the problem there. Okay. And just to clarify, so you're saying some cases you only use one income, like the spouse, one spouse's income is enough to qualify for the mortgage, especially if one spouse doesn't work. So in those cases, only one person would be on the note. Yeah. So in some cases, one spouse's credit may be better than the others and the the pricing or the interest rates would be improving just based on using one or for simpler purposes, you put it in one spouse's name. Now, both spouses are on the actual mortgage in the title, but the notes in one name. 
for simplicity purposes. Um, and then that would be additionally an easy way to get them off of the, the title if they're not on that note. Okay. I think, especially when I meet with people for the first time, they're just like a deer in headlights, right? They don't, they don't know their options. They're not sure if they're on the mortgage or not. Um, now, I don't know if you want me to go into at this point, if you are on the note, what are the options at that point? Yeah, um, let's do that. So you, you find out you are in fact on the note. I guess one of the questions, oftentimes both spouses want the house. So they're going through the divorce process and they don't know who's going to end up in the marital home, who's going to buy out who. Would this be something where you would advise somebody to, to see if they can get pre-approved to buy a home, even if they're not sure if they're going to be buying a new home or refining their current? Is Correct. So when you're going through this process, I would definitely suggest you meet with a mortgage lender or call a mortgage lender, whether you're going to retain the property or you're the one going out and buying, there's guidelines we have to adhere to on our side. So if we're getting into those kind of options, a couple of things to think through is alimony and child support. Okay, if you're if you're strictly using alimony and child support as income, we will need six months of documentation showing you've received that. Now that can start prior to the actual uh, physical divorce, the actual date of the divorce, but we want records of that. So sometimes people start that almost immediately. If it's you know five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, four thousand dollars, they start that almost immediately, and we can show a reoccurring month after month payment from one spouse to another of the amount you guys have agreed upon. Yes, that's great information because here, at least in Michigan, uh, if their children are involved, there is a six month period anyway. So that could start before the divorce is official. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. What kind of documentation do they need to keep track of for you, for your ability to use that as income? So the, the easiest is either direct deposits with bank statements of the set amount that's going to match, you know, a lot of times people have a separation agreement set up or their mm-hmm. understanding of that. So a um, direct either deposit, so bank statements, bank statements al- along with canceled checks showing that money being deposited and the dates it was deposited. So we don't want six, you know, checks deposited in one month and saying, hey, we've received six months. We need to show month after month it's the same amount coming in for the six-month period. So bank statements with uh, a direct deposit on a a regular date or bank statements along with canceled checks would be a good way to source that along with the separation agreement or the divorce decree. Now, obviously, it would depend on the divorce if things are amicable and you're living in the same house and you feel like you know, I see some cases the ex, the soon-to-be ex-spouse wants to help out their soon-to-be ex-spouse. Is there a way to maybe get approved for a mortgage before the divorce is final, even on like on a joint income or no? Well, going back with the alimony and child support, we can approve you based on a separation agreement. Okay. okay. And if we're just using child and support, we're assuming the borrower buying is not employed. Now, if the borrower buying is employed has a separation agreement, and their income qualifies them to go buy a house without any alimony or child support, they can buy based on their income alone. Um, And then, and that kind of brings me into one thought too, is when you're drafting the divorce decrees, it's important to recognize who's obtaining the house. Okay, so the departing spouse can cancel the debt of the mortgage, even if they're on that note, of the home they're departing, if it's written into the divorce decree that the other spouse is going is responsible 
for the payments and the refinance of it. So we can cancel that debt out on the spouse that's moving out of the house and buying a new property. Okay. So you're saying once the divorce is final, you can cancel it out? We can do it with a separation agreement that's signed by the judge. Okay. It's got to be a Certain- fully executed uh, separation agreement. So it's yeah. got to be reviewed, but but we can use a separation agreement as opposed to the final divorce decree. Any tips on, you know, if you're going through this process and you're considering whether you should buy your spouse out of the house or be the one bought out, so to speak, as far as sort of debt to income or like how much house somebody can afford, do you have any general guidelines to guide people? So, so yes, a hundred percent, we can give some guidance and there's two ways to look at uh, whether you want to keep the house or, or leave the house. As far as keeping the house, you want to see, do I need to increase my debt to pay off the departing spouse? If you owe 120000 do I owe them 80000 So am I, am I going to be taking a mortgage for now 200000 Okay. But you also want to factor in your current taxes. If you bought in 2008, 2009, you may be paying a low tax rate. So what you want to evaluate is what's the cost of living by retaining the house compared to what's the cost of living to what I may go buy or what I want to buy. So so you want to approach both of those avenues and kind of work through and see what you can afford and what's more affordable. Um, And again, it's based on debt load and so forth there. As far as uh, standard debt to income ratios, your housing expense on a standard level is 29%. You don't want your housing expense to exceed 29% of your uh, gross income. And then your total debt, you don't want to exceed 42% of your gross income. Now there's a comfort level you're gonna wanna fit in there because you're probably receiving net income, not gross, and we're using gross income. So again, whether or not I can qualify you is one thing it's it's going to really come down to where's your comfort level as far as a monthly payment and do you feel that's comfortable going forward at at what you're bringing in income wise and i love thing. that you do mention you know having both a financial planner as well as a mortgage lender and a lawyer and as part of your team in this decision because that is so important it doesn't come down to how much you can get approved for sometimes because i look at the whole picture the whole financial picture and I know of, you know, outside, not just debts, but lifestyle, right? And cash flow. And that's what we look at. So in some cases, it's often a trade-off. I say, you know, yes, you can afford to keep the house, but these monthly payments, something has to give. You either need to earn more money, go back to work. A lot of times if they're part-time, maybe to take care of the kids, that's going to be really difficult in a divorce. So there's so many different factors that as a financial planner, I look at when advising people through the divorce process. That is great to give those numbers of sort of a guideline of percent of gross income of what you can afford, and then kind of adding in those other outside things that maybe are trade-offs that people will have to give up if they want to, you know, maintain that same lifestyle and housing location that they currently have. Right. And and I, I think it's very important to lean on a financial planner um, in this situation because well, I've been in the business 20 years and I, I kind of treat my book of business and portfolio as if I was a financial planner for the long term. Um, there's a lot of guys that jump in and out of my business per se. So while I have, you know, I review everything and so forth, the financial planner bringing that aspect into it, 
they're looking at your big picture. They're looking at your next 30 years. How, if you have X amount of dollars, how are you going to sustain that that money while still living comfortable? Um, which not all mortgage lenders may be looking at that. So it's good for a mortgage lender to look at the numbers and talk through it with your financial planner. But the financial planner, I think, should really be the one helping at the end decision as far as where that comfort level falls in payment with all of your other interests in mind. Yeah. And much easier when they meet with me through the process, as opposed to after, once they have the divorce decree in hand, um, sometimes it's a little bit harder to help going forward because things are finalized. Right. So Mm -hmm. what about the question that I get oftentimes, especially in the negotiation stage where they're sort of figuring out Um, not just who's keeping the house, but whether they want lump sum assets or alimony payments over time. In the case of mortgage lending, can you get a mortgage through a lump sum divorce settlement? Possibilities do exist, yes. So we we have uh, a couple options. And again, that's going to be relative to age, how your assets are held. Um, There's Based on age, we can sometimes set up an automatic draw Based on age, we can set up a um, what they call an acid depletion to use for income. So again, it's good to get ahead of that stuff with your lender and your financial planner as to how the assets are held, uh, how much are in assets, and what we can just simply use as assets for qualifying income. So those options do exist um, in reference to that. It's just a it's just a matter of how they're how they're going to be held, your age, and how much can be used of that. There's different ratios based on all of that information. We would be talking, um, in this case, mostly non-qualified assets if you're under age 59 and a half. Um, So money that you can access that is not earmarked for retirement that could be used uh, to take an income from or take an asset-based lending approach. But it is my understanding that it is easier if you have a regular income, whether it's going back to work, an employment income, or a monthly income from alimony. Is that correct? And then there's one other option I made a note of and I haven't brought up yet. But there are uh, what's considered non-occupying co-borrowers. Okay? okay. So when I mean non-occupying co-borrowers, that can be a relative, being brother, uncle, aunt, parents, uh, departing spouse, in the sense of so spouses that are amicable. Sometimes one spouse who's the income earner will co-sign with the with the other spouse on the loan as a non-occupying co-borrower, meaning they're not occupying the residence, but their income's helping drive the approval process, okay? Or parents will help uh, a son or daughter when they're buying a property, drafting using their income as the non-occupying co-borrower for approval purposes of the borrower who we may not be able to claim income. So that is an alternative. Again, you have to engage other parties in that to see if they're willing to do that. And it is a debt in their name at that point as well, but we see that often too. That's good to know. Let's talk about timeline a little bit, because I know in this hot real estate market here right now, um, if you see a house, you pretty much have to make an offer on it pretty soon. So if you are in the case of leaving the marital home and you want to move right into this house that you're purchasing, we talked about six months for proof of income, but at what point um, do you recommend they meet with a mortgage broker. Especially in a market like this, even with uh, with borrowers that are just trying to bid and buy, a key component is to be prepared. Uh, so okay. we need to know the options. We need to understand our options. And then when the dream house comes up, we can you know quickly act on that. Um, so 
oftentimes I get calls weekends, nights, and we're we're almost backtracking at that point because we haven't engaged a lender. And uh, across the board, engaging a lender before you're buying is is very important, especially in a market like this, because we can act within one two minutes, as opposed to you know asking additional questions or saying you know possibly breaking it down and saying, I don't think this is going to work when you've already fallen in love with the house. So the, especially when a divorce, the mortgage lender, you know, right away, just to, to discuss options and so forth. So you can actually gauge a time plan on your side as well. Right. And people want to reach out to you. Uh, what is the best way to get a hold of you? I always use my cell phone, phone call, I'm usually with my kids or sports or something like that. So if you don't get me, you can always text me directly and I can respond just as quick. Um, But the cell phone is my office rings right into my cell phone. So that's the best way at this point to get a hold of me. Okay. I will attach that to the notes here on the podcast. And I will also put your email address. Any last thoughts on things that if you are either going through the divorce process or considering divorce and want to know what your options are, with the house. Any final thoughts that we didn't touch on? I think this goes unsaid, but obviously it's a, um, it's a very sensitive, you know, issue, I guess I would say. Um, So with financial planners and mortgage lenders, everything's always confidential. So again, you know, it goes unsaid, but I like to bring it up that, you know, whether you're going through a divorce or you're thinking about it, please be open to reaching out and engaging because it is a confidential conversation. It's going to be left between you and and who you're speaking with. And there's not going to be any further discussion of it um, outside of those walls or, you know, that phone call, but it is good to get ahead of it, to understand it and, and help you make decisions going forward. I know I'm happy to meet with people. There's no charge or consultation to talk about your options. And if you decide not to get divorced now or at all ever, Again, what you mentioned with confidentiality, no one will ever know. Again, I assume that you also offer those free consultations for people that may not be sure exactly what they want to do. Correct. Yes, correct. I mean, you've got, you have to understand, we have people that, you know, are calling saying, you know, we think we're outgrowing our house. We're debating moving and decide not to move. We're, we're consulting on refinancing without actually refinancing. So, so yeah, I mean, it, the, the big part of my job is, is basically educating people in their options and whether they choose to move forward or not, that's at their discretion, but there's no fees charged to educate them and, and give them an idea of what they can be considering or looking at. Great. Well, that's so important. And I love, you know, the similarities in that, like, we want to meet with you before it's finalized to kind of figure out what your options are, help guide you, what is best for the outcome that you're looking to get. And then that confidentiality, obviously being able to consult, uh, at least initially for free, is so important. So um, do reach out if you're listening and you have some questions, feel free to reach out to Nathan. Again, I'm going to put his contact information in the show notes here as well as um, we'll link some additional information to his website. Guaranteed Rate Point is located actually across the street from Pro Planning here in Gross Point, right on Kerchival, brand new office. And uh, you've done a great job. It looks great. I can't wait for COVID to kind of be over so we Uh can get together. Like we're literally across the street right now talking on a podcast. Uh, You know, in in olden times, I would just come over, we could record live, but... (laughs) Appreciate your time today, Nathan, and um, thanks for joining us. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate you encouraging me to jump on here, and, uh, and this has been great. Thank you. For more information, visit pearlplan.com or our Facebook page, Pearl Planning Wealth.